You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Man, isn't it true that it would not be a podcast if you didn't have some overly dramatic announcer voice at the beginning with a cheesy jingle? I finally got the new name and the announcer, and I'm still working on that cheesy jingle, but I know that that's going to be coming soon. Anyway, my name is Chris Kiefer, and I am the host of the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. When I started this podcast, I knew that the most important thing was going to be just beginning and starting to talk to people and interview people, which is something that I really enjoy. So uh, the perfectionist side of me wants to go back and kind of edit those and modify the openings. But the realistic side and the more motivational side of me wants to leave everything as it is and just embrace the fact that as these episodes continue, I will continue to evolve and improve the audio quality, buy new mics, add in some music and variety of other things. But just as a quick reminder uh, for anyone out there that is, you know, considering writing a book or starting a podcast or a vlog or whatever it is, I just feel so strongly that the number one thing you can do is to take a stab at it get going. Don't worry about perfection. Just worry about action and realize that uh, it is far more important to take an action, even if it is the wrong action, because changing directions is far, far easier than starting. So now that we have that out of the way, I would like to introduce Christiane Crump. She is the guest on today's episode. Christiane is the wife of Dr. Steve Crump, and together they are the owners of Boise Family Dental Care. And just to get your attention with a little bit of background information, Christiane and Dr. Crump purchased Boise Family Dental Care from the previous owner in 2008, months before the recession, and they took a practice that was just under $1 million in annual revenue and had about 15 to 20 new patients a month to where they are now, which at the end of 2017, they were at 2.3 million in annual revenue. And on average, they get between 65 and 90 patients per month. And for those of you that are not dentists, those numbers for a single dentist practice are absolutely unheard of. So without further ado, I'm going to hand the mic over to Christiane and let her introduce herself so that I can start asking questions. Thanks, Chris. Um, It's fun to have a chance to talk with you today and tell you a little bit about the practice and our journey. So, yeah, um, my husband finished dental school in 2006. He's a graduate of the University of Louisville, and my, my profession is in nursing. I have a RN and also a degree in zoology. And so when my husband finished school, his father is also a dentist, so we went and practiced with him for a couple of years to get started, but then began kind of deciding, began looking for what we wanted as far as a practice, and ended up in Boise. We purchased a practice from a retiring dentist who wanted to associate back for a couple of years. Um, That transition went smoothly. And we rebranded the practice in 2008 is when all of this happened, which was a crazy time to be buying a practice and kind of launching in because that was the beginning of the Great Recession or (laughs) however you want to call it. Honestly, if we had done it a few months later, I don't know if we ever would have gotten financing to buy the practice that we did. But so we bought a business and went straight into a few difficult years for I think a lot of dentists felt that. And we also bought a practice that was in a large medical building. We were on the second floor at the end of the hall, zero drive-by traffic, no outside signage. Um, So we had some other kind of external variables that we had to address in in effort to you know grow our business and survive as a business honestly because of the you know what was happening with the economy and businesses in general at the time 
So all of those were very relevant factors that came into play with our story and were really precipitating events that led us on this journey of learning and growth for our practice. So you, just to clarify, so you bought two separate practices? No, we bought, we bought one practice of dentists who'd been in business for about 25 or 30 years. Gotcha. And it was and, in that particular practice that you bought from the third 25 year old dentist um, was in the medical building and that's the one that didn't have any signage or anything like that. Correct. Uh, a large portion of that practice for him was um, hospital based. He was doing surgeries and um, the practice was actually on the campus of one of the hospitals in our town. And so you could walk out the back door of the medical building where our office was and straight into the surgery wing of the hospital. And so he did surgeries weekly and brought in special needs or, you know, people who needed that care. And that was really exciting for my husband. He was very interested in acquiring, you know, hospital privileges and, and that becoming a part of his future for practicing. So, but as the years changed, there was this, I think it was 2010, 2011, um, we, we, our practices in Idaho, the state of Idaho changed the provider for um, Medicaid and everything shifted. Like basically overnight, 30% of our practice population, we were no longer able to serve. Wow. And so I want to see, there's a couple things that I want to um, dive into here. One thing uh, for the sake of the, the listeners, can you, so you're, I think that there's like an interesting beginning and end. Um, and you guys are definitely by no means at the end yet. But so you guys start, bought it in 2008. If we zoom forward to now 10 years later in 2018, can you just give me like a quick snapshot of the amount of growth, um, number of employees, how that's changed, um, where, like if the location has changed, revenue, where you guys are at now, and then we'll kind of go in and fill in all the details of how you guys got there. For sure, absolutely. So when we purchased the practice, it was, we, we paid basically, about a million dollars. I think the total loan was 1.1. 1 .1. Um, the revenue of the practice was, I'm thinking it was right around a million. The practice numbers were actually not very accurate. It was a practice that wasn't purging inactive patients from Dentrix. Um, it had enormous accounts receivable. Um, about $150,000 of AR kind of hanging out there waiting to be collected. Um, 30 to 35% of the practice was Medicaid. Like average new patients for our practice was like 15 to 20. 20 would be a good month. It was 100% referral based. There was no website really to speak of. I think there was one that was like a free one that Quest gave the doctor when he got a yellow page ad. Um, yeah, that's what we bought. So fast forward now to 2018. We did, I believe we closed 2018 about 1.3, or excuse me, $2.3 million dollars in gross collections. Our average new patients a month ranges between 65 and 90. There's seasonal variations on that that we track and kind of know that some months are lower and some months are higher. Um, we went from just having two hygienists and two front office to having three hygienists 
and four front office and oh, I guess we had two assistants to begin with but now we have three assistants. Let me think what else. We, we did leave that location. We purchased the building which was actually just across the street and then ended up purchasing another building that directly sits next to, so we have two buildings side by side, I guess the simplest way to say that. And my husband literally runs <laughs> between those two buildings. One building houses all of hygiene with four ops and the other building houses all the treatment rooms and has six ops. So he takes like 20 steps between the buildings and goes back and forth between them hourly. Wow. So, so this is, this is some really interesting stuff here. So just to recap, you, um, purchased a practice for around a million dollars. It was approximately a million dollars in revenue each year. Um, but the numbers, it sounds like that you, um, were given, there was a lot of people that not, were not really active patients, correct? Mm, yes. And then you guys also all this happening during 2008, the, the recession's yes. coming um, shortly after you guys got into this. I think that something that's interesting to me is I feel that there is a lot of um, value, like extremely um, tangible value that comes from these times when the economy is not good, like you have no room for waste you start looking at like, you know, how much did those pens cost and why, you know, yes. everything starts getting evaluated to try and figure out why are like, what can we do to survive this period of time? And if you can make it through some businesses do, but when you make it through that period, the businesses that do survive generally are in a place to just skyrocket into, you know, a, a flourishing economy and all that stuff because you've eliminated all the waste. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, and waste is maybe 5% of it. I really don't think that there was a ton of waste. I mean, there obviously was. But it was so much more than just trimming fat. The whole way in which both our office personnel function, and it's not about using less paper clips, <laughs> like the way in which they, their workflow is, is different. The way in which our office manager who does financials with patients does that is totally different. The way in which our hygienists and assistants function in their roles to support the practice and my husband has totally changed. And even the way he practices and communicates and talks with and teaches his patients about how to be more engaged in their own oral health has changed. And all of those things are much more important than just trimming, you know, waste and efficiencies. Right, right. So can you, the one, I want to talk about your role in this because... That's something that I think is especially back in, you know, 2008, 2010, when you began, you know, starting to pay attention to websites and online marketing and ranking and all that stuff. It, you were definitely um, way ahead of the curve as far as, um, you know, other dentists not even paying close attention to that stuff at all. Can you tell me a little bit about when you guys like day one, you purchased the practice what was your guys' plans for the future and what was your role in all of this and how did that evolve over the, you know, the first several years? Sure. So we, like 2008, 2009, we were still just really the bare basics of being a business owner. We did have the other dentist that was still there, so he was kind of coaching and mentoring a little bit. But at the same time, we really had to decide how we were going to run our business. And it's this unspoken thing I don't think a lot of dentists like to talk about. But we graduated from school and had this kind of mental expectation 
of what it was going to be like to practice and finally be out of school. And there was a, a gap. There was like a mismatch <laughs> between what we imagined and what was happening. And we began to have months where the person who answered our phone took home more pay than we did. Like literally, there were some months where there was no money left for us to take a paycheck. And that, I mean, thankfully we're savers. So that wasn't ever anything that was, you know, we were going to default on our mortgage. But obviously you can't stay in business if that happens month after month. Mm. So it became really important really fast for us to figure out how we were going to change that in a meaningful way. And how much of that do you think was um, related to the recession or was it just quickly realizing that if both people in your household were going to be working at the same place, you needed to find a way to make more revenue? Well, it was a function of all of a few things. We had student loan debt. We bought a practice that was a million dollars. I mean, we took out a loan for a million bucks. Our loan payment was like $12,000 a month. We had payroll. We had, you know, we have just all our expenses. And after all of that, the slice for us was pretty lean. Hmm. So then the, all this happens, you, I'm, I'm curious, you, you're specifically, you got involved in this basically as just an operations person, correct? You were kind of the office manager. I actually wasn't. I wasn't. We, we talked about it when we first bought the practice and I had little kids. I didn't want to have to leave the home and I also didn't want to get in the way of the people we paid to be front office. I wanted to let them do their job. I did have some roles and responsibilities. I did run payroll. I did do accounts payable, but I did all of that remotely. I never showed up to work, you know, nine to five at the office. But I guess where, where things really got interesting is when we decided that marketing was going to have to really become something we got serious about because we had to grow. And so that's where, I mean, my background is in nursing and science and I didn't know anything about marketing, <laughs> but, and my husband didn't have time to learn about marketing and we weren't even taking a paycheck. So we couldn't afford to go pay someone to do the marketing. And so it became something that I just decided, okay, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm a smart girl. <laughs> and what time, so, what year was this? This was like, I would say this straddles 2010 and 2011. So, I'm smart, but I knew I couldn't code a website. So we did, we did find a company, a local company who could help us create a website. We, and I, we had had a website before, like we got a website in 2008, but it was from a company that just like had 10 templates. You picked which one you wanted and sent them your logo and they put it on top of their template. It was super generic. And it really didn't convert and it didn't really amount to any appreciable new patients for us. So I knew that really wasn't working and we needed to go a different direction as far as our online presence. So we connected with this company and they, our contract, our commitment from them was that they were going to do a ground up website with us. But they weren't dentists. So they said, okay, you have to tell us what you want this to look like and you're going to have to write your content because you know what you need and we don't. That was 
incredibly laborious. I had no idea it was going to be so laborious. But I spent the first couple of weeks, you know, preparing to kind of sit down with them. And they said, you know, go find stuff that you like. Show us what you're looking for. And so I sat down and I started Googling dentists all over the country. New York, Beverly Hills, Chicago, Houston, like Seattle, Portland, any major metropolitan city I could think of. And my hope was that somewhere, someone out there had a rock star website that I could basically mimic. And I had a really hard time finding any that I loved. <laughs> I was so surprised. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, New York City, the top five dentists, when I Google New York City dentist, like, this is what comes up. Now, I say that. There were some pretty good ones, but I was, by and large, underwhelmed. And I was like, wow. Nobody's doing anything awesome. And of the few that I found, I started to create this running list of like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I really like that thing. And so I, I started to think, okay, these are a few elements. I'm going to kind of do something like that and someone like that. And then I also, honestly, I started, I left dentistry altogether. I'm looking up major hospitals, major medical practices. Some of those had great websites. All of a sudden I'm Googling universities. I'm Googling, you know, just big organizations that were in the helping people, quote unquote, industry. Like, what are they doing? And I started to see cool stuff as I looked broader. And that kind of gave me then a few things that I thought, okay, I want some of these elements to come through. And we, we ended up with the first iteration of our website. I was given really good counsel that I had to write the content. It had to be completely unique because Google hates template content. <laughs> So it took me months. I would just write stuff and then show it to my husband and I and say, okay, you edit this. I'm not a dentist. You know, what of this makes sense and what do I need to add? And so we went through like legal pads of scratch until we had content. And anyways, long story, somewhat short. <laughs> um, we finally had a website. And we had thought about what some of the important key words would be that we would want to rank for. And we did choose to invest and purchase BoiseDentist.com. It wasn't, it was owned by someone who had bought it strictly for the intention of selling it. It was like a guy in Georgia. So we reached out to him and made him an offer and came to a number and wrote him a check. <laughs> what I, I have to know, because that's something, I think that's a, um, during the, it's like the dot-com bubble, there was a lot of people, I feel like I heard Mark Cuban made his money basically buying domains before people realized that they were valuable for, you know, 10 bucks or five bucks and then selling them for thousands of dollars. Yeah. I'm imagining like nowadays, from my experience, Buying a major city with the word dentist.com as a domain, they're up in like the, you know, ten to $20,000 range, especially for yeah. really big cities. Do you guys remember what you paid for that? Okay, you're going to die. We paid $1,500. 1500 <laughs> in 2011. That's crazy. It was probably 2010. What's so funny is that we, when we first bought the practice, we bought BoiseFamilyDentalCare.com. That was the original one that we launched. And so we 
I mean, we did buy BoiseDentist.com, but we didn't use it for years. I oh, honestly wow. think that we did not start using BoiseDentist.com. Gee whiz, it must have been like 2015 or 2016 even. It's crazy. Like So you just bought it and then sat on it for a few years because you didn't really... There wasn't any particular reason to switch, and I'm sure there wasn't a ton of research, or at least as much as there is now, in all of the different little minute factors that Google's taking into consideration when they are ranking. Well, so, no, it was actually a totally different reason. <laughs> we, we launched with BoiseFamilyDentalCare.com, and at that time, the competition for quality dental websites in our market was very low. Like when we launched that first website, we ranked awesome almost right away. So it was working and we wrote it. We just let it, if it ain't broke, hey, don't fix it. So we just left BoiseFamilyDentalCare.com as our primary domain for years. And then times changed and all of a sudden the valley changed and it was like, okay, if we're going to rank where we want to rank, like my goal was always top three, one, two, three. If we're not in the top three, it's time to have another look, pop the hood. And we started to see other dentists in our area coming out with quality websites, original content, you know, all the, all the different components. And so it <laughs> kind of felt like that point in Princess Bride where he's doing the sword fight. And it's like that, well, I'm not left-handed either. And so they switch to their other hand and <laughs> like take it to the next level. It was like, okay, well, I'm not left-handed. We have BoiseDentist.com. So we did a refresh, redid our website, and relaunch that second iteration of our website with BoiseDentist.com. And honestly, it was a little bit of a scary time for me because there was a month or two where it took time for Google to re-index and kind of re-rank us as BoiseDentist.com. And there was a huge like drop off in the new patient calls. That couple of months. So what you guys had, you guys got rid of the Boise Family Dental um, website, and in that process, obviously of changing the domains, you guys basically vanished temporarily. Yes. As Google's indexing you, and you're starting to gain traction again. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but thankfully, we're talking, like I said, 2015, 2016. We already had a great big practice, so it wasn't. It wasn't back to the days where we weren't going to be able to take a paycheck. Right. It was just like, oh, the schedule's not overflowing. You know, we're not turning away patients the way we had been month over month in the past. Just because there's no room in the schedule, you know. So, anyways. And it was interesting. The other thing that was interesting with the second iteration of the website is that we had data the second time around. We were able to look, we did heat mapping on our website and you know, we kind of looked at our analytics a little bit. Okay, what patients, what pages on our website are our acquiring pages? What do people land on first? Where do they go next? What are the most popular pages on our website? Like all that became data that informed our next version. So, and it didn't take nearly as long. <laughs> we turned out that next version in like two and a half months. So your first, or the website that you launched with that company, it sounds like, was, was this direction from the company to start tracking all this analytics data? Or was that something that you had begun doing since it was created, the first version? You know, it was something that as we started to think, okay, it's time to do a second version, that we, honestly, we hadn't been looking at the data a ton. 
and until until it was time to start doing the refresh. And as we began looking at the data then, um, it, it began to inform and help us decide what we wanted to make the emphasis on the next time around. We, so with the second version of our website, our concern was less about all of the information we wanted to push at people like cram as much on the homepage as absolutely possible. We zeroed our focus into what our data had told us people want to know when they go to a dentist's website. And that's what we put on the homepage. If they can't find it without having to click away to a secondary page, we've done something wrong. So, the emphasis shifted. Mm, so that's, I think that's, um, the, first of all, there's, I think, I think a lot of things that, that, let me start over. First of all, I think one of the things that a lot of dentists or just business people can relate to is that at any given moment, you have so much stuff that you need to be prioritizing. And it's often mm -hmm. the prioritization and then the execution of your big to-do list that determines how successful you're going to be. So I think the first thing you said about, you know, the first website was doing fantastic and then all of a sudden everybody else catches up and then it takes a moment to go, you know, let's take a look at this and you realize, yeah, we can do significantly better. You start reworking and retooling everything. But the thing that I think is probably, at least in my opinion, from working with a number of dentists, being, um, uh, so you guys are so involved in the process of the website and the marketing of your practice that I feel most, most dentists um, have a, a minor like understanding of the specifics and like the actual critical, you know, just even analytics. Analytics data is something that most um, professionals have no concept or idea that that stuff is even available. So I guess I'm kind of curious, how did you find out about that particular type of stuff? And um, was it an obvious thing for you to do? Or was that like, like, what was the motivation to kind of dive into the numbers to make decisions as opposed to what I feel like most of us do, which is, well, everybody else is doing this or Aesthetically, I like how we have this information on this other page because I want the home page to be clean and whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess for me, it might be a function of the fact that I have two science degrees. <laughs> like, I, I guess I skew numbers, data, research, and that's what medicine and nursing and you know even dentistry and like the zoology a lot of that degree was like research methods and you know statistics and whatever plus all the chemistry and genetics and stuff but we also ended up looking at analytics and stuff because I was honestly super intimidated by the thought that Google had some sort of an algorithm <laughs> I was like I don't know what this algorithm is. Like, how am I going to give Google what they want? Oh, and you mean Google has like an analytics side? Okay, well, I should probably check that out. They have this whole website called Webmaster Tools. Maybe there's something in there that I can read or learn that'll help me dish up what they feel like is important. You know, I just felt like I knew that whatever Google wanted, I had to learn. And so I kind of dug in and got intentional about, okay, what does Google even have out there for people who have websites? And honestly, if you're looking, it doesn't take you very long to run across those resources. And then you, you know, you can go as far down that rabbit hole as you want. There's so much stuff there. So it, what you're saying is that basically you became aware that obviously there is an algorithm that Google's using that prompted you to kind of fall back on some of the analytics and just the, the numbers that you were so familiar with from schooling. 
And then basically without any formal training on it, you started diving into and reading articles and looking at different tools and widgets and things that you could do. But you basically just started chipping away at like page by page and seeing if the content was relevant or needed to be moved forward in the website or deleted. Um, and that's how you made those decisions? Yes. Um, and honestly, I mean, that sounds like a huge process. I think that, and it wasn't, I mean, writing the content took a while and writing meaningful content that spoke to the keywords that we were targeting, that took time. But kind of learning the overarching principles that Google wanted, that didn't take that much time. I mean, it give me like two weeks, let me go skim the internet and, you know, reach out to, you know, reach out in the sense of like, go search out kind of the movers and shakers of the, you know, Google and web development and all these types of things. It, it doesn't take long for kind of the main point to come across about some of those things. And if, I mean, just pay attention and then just be like, okay, well, these are the experts. And if they say this is important, great, game on, here I go, you know. Totally. So then the other thing, um, and I'm actually looking at your website right now, um, Boise Dentist, I don't know if you need to reference this, but one thing I'm curious about is in reflecting back on um, the changes that if you even think back to the early, early website, when you just glance at your first page, is there, or your homepage, are there any things on here that you feel like you're really proud of or like big um, things that are like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, making this decision and changing this or did you ever get compliments from people or did you receive feedback that was like really solidified and it could be something very minor or, um, you know, pretty substantial that, that I'm talking about. I don't, I'm just curious how, how all those little things um, played out on the site that we can see today. There's things I love about where our call to actions are and how they're written. I think they work well. Um, I also made a particular point, like we have this scrolling testimonials kind of right there but below the fold. I made a point of making sure there's like, I think there's like 20 or 30 in the code that feeds that. I was like, you know what? I don't want just like four that rotate. I, I mean, there's got to be enough there that if someone's going to take the time to sit there and read those, which nobody does. I mean, I can look at the analytics and I know nobody does, but please don't show me the same things over and over. <laughs> yeah, just those three that cycle. <laughs> yes, like just little things. Um, I still love that these are actual pictures of the doctor. Mm. And your office. Like when people, yeah, when people look at our website, that's us. That's what they're going to see when they show up. And that's important. Like there's no stock photography on this website. That's a big deal to me. And I think it's a big deal to people who are trying to decide if they want to come see us. And I also know it's a really big deal for Google. I think doctors who shortcut and just grab stuff, well, not doctors, website developers in general, no matter who they're serving, if they are not taking the time to get original photography for the sites they're developing for those businesses, they're not doing their companies any favors because Google is not going to rank them as well if they just pull stock images off, you know. Totally, yeah, and I think, stock, to stock be honest, I, I don't, can't say for sure, but I guarantee you just like, and I know that this is being developed, I don't know how heavily this is used in algorithms, but Google is working on, you know, image recognition as well to the, you know, when, and it makes logical sense to me that they would be able to scan every image on the website and not just by the file name, but you could, you know, even mock it up or change it or crop it or whatever. And it would still be able mm -hmm. to identify, oh, this is a similar photo as this other, you know, on the other side of the world or these other five websites that also use the same stock imagery. So I think that that's yep. definitely something as Google continues to develop and get smarter as well with their own algorithms that I could definitely see that um, playing a role. But anyway, so That's moving right. on to, um, do you think it's possible to mm -hmm. hire out what you did? 
or to even hire someone to do what you did? Because from my perspective, something that's super interesting to me is basically the intrinsic reward or the the other motivations that you had in not, you know, making sure that you are crossing the T's and dotting the I's and, you know, taking an extra minute to think about the sentence or words that you used rather than just trying to get something done for the sake of getting it done. Yeah. So honestly, I would have loved to have had the money <laughs> at that time to have outsourced the whole thing. Um, in a lot of ways, that would have been awesome. But we would have shortchanged ourselves a lot of learning if we had done that. Um, so I'm glad that that's the way the cards fell for us. The chips fell, I guess, and that we have had the opportunity to learn so much. But I feel like now, and honestly, okay, so this second iteration of our website, we did use a different company to help us because you know I still am not a web coder. So we hired a company to help us code this site and um, some of the graphic design stuff. And I loved working with them. They did a great job. I don't regret working with them. When we go around the horn next time, I'm gonna have to pair up with a company to help us with the website. I think there's tremendous value in working with professionals. I think that, you know, now in 2018, I haven't been keeping up with the absolute latest and greatest on what Google wants and all this and that. And I, if I hire a company, I, my expectation is that when I show up as a client, they are well-versed and they know exactly what to do and that they're going to lead me in the right direction. That's why, I, I mean, it kind of takes me back to that. If, there, if you have a web development company and they say, oh, we're going to use all this stock photography, well, that should be a good indicator you need a different company. Like, go find someone else who's going to make you do what you have to do to actually have a successful website. And if they're not making you talk about your keywords and really dig into keyword analysis and, and plugging that into your code, you need a different company. Like, those things are probably always going to be important. But there's probably new things that are going to be important as well. And so... Absolutely, you know, there. I think having the right company working with you will just accelerate your success. But I think that people who feel like they can't afford a professional, um, there's a ton that you can learn on your own if you're willing to take the time and then just outsource the absolute bare minimum. Like, I totally knew I couldn't code a website. So that was our bare minimum. I just needed to find someone that could code. Fine. I can write the content and we can take pictures. <laughs> so basically your advice is or your answer is that, yes, it's definitely possible to outsource or hire someone else to do what you did. Um, it will take some money to do that. But if someone does not have that kind of um, money or the resources to do it at this time, you definitely think that, you know, with some relatively simple searches you can come across the all the information that you would need to kind of be at a moderate level or at least a good enough level to do um you know to improve yourself on the web yes yes for sure so now i want to jump over to uh something you had mentioned earlier on you said that in the beginning of the practice going through the recession there was kind of an overhauling of everything that you guys were doing in the practice and not so much eliminating waste, but just redoing the way that you guys operated. Did you like seek the resources of other, you mentioned seeking professional help for websites. Um, did your husband or did the, your, the office manager or you seek the assistance of any um, people to basically provide insight on best practices for roles and, um, you know, job descriptions for the various, you know, hygienist, office manager, front desk, um, or did you guys just invent this all on your own? No, uh, we did have, I think over the course of the years that we've owned our practice, we've had three different consultants. 
Um, the first one we had just because out of like panic mode. Oh my gosh, we're out of practice. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> and then the second one my husband met at a CE and thought, oh, these guys sound awesome. Let's sign up with them. And then the third one we met, like they came into town and like Shine or Patterson, I don't know who, did a little, you know, luncheon or whatever. And you went and kind of heard the person spiel it. And that last consultant that we had, I will say, did did really help us stretch and kind of break through that initial ceiling that we kept hitting. Um, we did finally feel like there was some real value that came out of our time with a consultant. The other two, the first two, I mean, if you looked at our numbers, they were pretty much flat. They're nothing really. They just, you know, they it was it was the same it was the same every time. It's like, well, send us all these reports. We want to know this data, this data. We we sent them like tons of reports and then they would just send us back something and say oh you're spending too much on supplies <laughs> it's like well thanks how do we fix it you know or oh you need to you, look at all these patients that you need to do recall for okay awesome what do we do you know it just didn't feel like nothing happened so we did eventually get with a, a consultant where they gave us like action items and we went and were able to really actually grow and change and made a huge difference um, I will say we worked with that consultant for one year and then the second year kind of re-upped but the difference between what we learned the second year and the first year was way different the second year was just kind of like okay you're doing great is there anything you feel like you need and we're like I thought you had more like what else is it you know so it it felt like it, it kind of really flattened off as far as what came out of that relationship so we no longer um, have that relationship and and kind of the things that we've learned have morphed and evolved like we've really customized it for okay this this works even better and that's where I think when we started working with them we, we kind of broke through that like one point you know three one point four in into like really getting close to touching on, you know, you know, 2 million, 1.8, 1.9. And then it was like, boom, when we really just looked at a few other things and made some more changes and a few more tweaks. And it's so fun. I mean, now we've kind of built on and evolved all the things that we've learned over the years to something, you know, even better. And our emphasis last year was... It, it really was more on efficiencies and we had this interesting situation where in 2016 we brought in an associate because I mean the practice was so big we we're like okay we need another doc we had bought this other building two buildings we're ready for another doctor that's gonna be how we break through and like get to the next level so we brought in this doctor and thought that we were gonna be that he was going to end up being a partner, but long story short, that didn't end up being a good fit. And so all of a sudden, after having a few months with two doctors and two full schedules, and now needing to compress back down to one doctor's time, it forced us again, because we were in a difficult situation, to figure out, okay, how can we do this? So there just became a whole nother evaluation of efficiencies and it's not like how can we save on supplies efficiencies it's time efficiencies okay doctor only has so much time how can we make his time absolutely as efficient as possible and still make sure that the patients that he sees feel like they have had quality time and enough time with the dentist and he's not feeling rushed through his procedures and as we've drilled into that we're, st we're almost able, honestly, to run the schedule that we were running with two doctors with one doctor. It's nuts. <laughs> mm. So we got our financials back from our accountant for filing our 2017 taxes. And she showed us that for 2017, the practice revenue was actually down 7%. And that's that you know little drop going from having two practicing dentists to one but the net income was up 37.5%. Oh my gosh. And that's a function of 
having nearly the same schedule of two doctors and not having to pay out a second the, doctor. <laughs> the second pay the second doctor's yeah paycheck. Wow. And retirement and stuff. So, and we never would have pushed ourselves and looked to find those ways we could be more productive and efficient if we hadn't been in that kind of crisis of like, holy smokes, <laughs> people are already on the schedule. How are we going to service those patients? So there, I mean, there's gold in those moments. That's the moment. Uh, I mean, in back when we had to figure out our website, that was awesome because it forced us to learn. And when that, that associate left, like it felt like a crisis, but in hindsight, best day ever. <laughs> it was, it was like such an opportunity for us. And when we looked at it as an opportunity and really, and I have to give my husband kudos because he saw it as an opportunity sooner than I did. I was just like, what the heck are we going to do? So, but he just immediately went straight into problem solver mode and he, he rethought his entire day. Mm. It was awesome. So what advice, like if you could go back to, um, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. or Dr. and Mrs. Crump 10 years ago, what's something that you would have liked to have told yourself uh, for the journey that you had ahead of you? Oh, I know what I would tell myself. It's so funny. I remember when we were in dental school, like I said, my husband is a pretty driven guy. I remember him saying to me, he says, I want to get to the point where, where our take-home pay is $500,000 a year. And I was like, I don't know, honey. That's, I mean, that's crazy. Like, I, I came at that with, like, skepticism. Maybe that's so greedy. That's nuts. And I, for him, it wasn't, it, I, I mean, obviously, there's a number attached to that. But he was like, for him, it was the concept of feeling successful. He wanted to feel like he was a dentist that was successful. And it pushed him. Um, he wasn't going to be satisfied just being an associate for his dad. He's like, I'm going to go find a practice. I'm going to go buy a practice or build a practice. So it pushed him. And then it pushed him again when all of a sudden we weren't even taking home any paychecks. And then it keeps, it keeps pushing him. And so I think what I would say is probably what he already knew, but what I needed to hear and wished someone would have told me is don't be afraid to go for it. For us back then, $500,000 a year of take-home pay, for me, sounded ridiculous and a little bit too ambitious. And now, okay, we're past that now. That's awesome. He's already on to the next stream. <laughs> and I'm just like, aren't we doing awesome? Let's just be here in this awesomeness. Um, but don't be afraid to dream and push and look outside your own box because that's where the next dream is now for us. You know, we're like, okay, we've got this practice. It's doing amazing. It would be super easy to sit here where we're now comfortable and just, you know, build the retirement account, work another 10, 15 years, and then retire and rest on our laurels. But that is not who my husband is. He is all about, his eye is already on the next prize. And he is still as driven and motivated. And so don't ever be satisfied with the success that you have. And don't be afraid to dream big. That's awesome. So what advice do you have for, um, uh, let's see, if for... For other dentists that are, let's say that for some reason there's a dental student in dental school, and this is kind of, um, as far as an un, or not focusing on the um, kind of the goal side, but like step one, you know, year one advice, what do you do? What would you go back and, or what would not to yourself, but to a dental a student or entrepreneur, new grad who's coming out of school? and kind of has that ambition of, I want to do something I want, you know, I want to achieve, I've got big dreams, but what do I do right now? Um, and what direction, or how do you determine? Cause obviously it probably is different depending on the circumstances. What would be an action step, um, to like start taking action towards something? 
Well, here's one, and it's free, basically free. It's cheap. Let me, let me say it's cheap. Um, you need to start, keep learning. Like, because when you graduate from school, you have so much that you don't know. <laughs> you don't even know you don't know. And you need to get just tunnel vision and super focus on learning and surrounding yourself with big dreamers and big thinkers, you know, read books, whatever, to really grow. Because I think we're capable of achieving almost anything once we make up our mind and once we think that it's possible. If you think it's possible, you'll just go crush it. Um, and just get super, super focused. I mean, my husband had a number, $500,000. Like he, his, it was measurable. I mean, someone who's just coming out of school, what does your future look like? And that, I mean, that does kind of sound like it's goal setting, but if you don't know, you're never going to get there. And if he didn't, if he hadn't had that direction, I mean, who knows where we'd be, but it certainly wouldn't be where we are today. And so someone who's just coming out of school, your action item is like, where do you want to be in five years? Okay. You've got a truckload of student loans. Okay, you need a plan to get that paid off. Are you going to go work for a corporation? Maybe you are. Maybe that is what the first couple of years works like. But think past that then. What's next? When's your exit out of that and on to the next thing? Um, I just really think that the, the secret to success, this is so generic. This is so beyond dentistry. I think anybody who's successful will tell you this. The secret to success is always be moving forward and have a plan. We all know it. So many people, so few people do it. Mm. I think that that is a fantastic, um, it is, you know, it's one of those things that it's not very complex advice and really it's not that difficult. Well, the hardest part about making a plan to actually, you know, what is, what is the direction and how do you know when you're moving forward you know, like you said, we all know it, we've all heard it, but how many people actually take a day or a week or you know, even an hour to say, what do I want? And then mm -hmm. they say, that's what I want by this date, this is how I'm gonna measure it, and now I'm going to go you know, in that direction. Um, but I think that that's, that is very, you know, um, it's just a good reminder for something that you know, probably a lot of us have heard or been told at some point, um, but we just need yes. to go do it. I'm going to add one thing, one other thought that came to my mind on that. Um, and this is from Mel Robbins, um, the gal who has that TED talk about the five second rule. One of the other things that she says is every day when you get up, write down one thing that you want to accomplish. I'm a list person. This resonated with me. You know, we get, I, I, I love to create this epic to-do list of like way too many things that I can accomplish. But she doesn't give you that direction. She says one thing. And so the other thing I would say to these new grads or dentists who aren't where they want to be is, okay, yes, do what I said. Imagine what you want to do. Okay, now pick one thing today that's going to move you in that direction. Just one. Maybe you need to spend some time researching practices for sale. That's your one thing. Maybe you need to, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be completely different for everybody. But if you spend a little bit of time every day making one step that moves you closer, you will get there. So do you worry about failure? Like your one thing that immediately thinks that I think of is, the advice to always continue to move forward and think of the one thing that I want to do is very like it's very practical and it's a good reminder. But I think sometimes, at least for myself, I get if I focus too much on I have to move forward, I have to move forward, I have to move forward. What happens on the days where 
you know, 30% of your patient base is gone. Like, are you, mm-hmm. how do you turn that into still moving forward? And, and then I, I guess I should say, um, to stay focused on this question, do you worry about failure amidst this mindset that you have? And what is failure and how would you define that? Well, you know, we've been talking and it sounds like we've just hit a homer on all fronts, but <laughs> we actually haven't. That's the conversation that we haven't been having for the last hour. Um, we have had failures. Uh, years ago, we read that book, Good to Great. Remind me, who wrote that? Jim um, Collins. Collins, yes. And in there, he talks about the concept of firing a bullet, meaning you just kind of try something on the small scale to s- test the water. And so we have done that a few different times with a few different concepts. And I'm like mentally running the numbers. I bet we've spent $350,000, maybe even a little north of that number, on firing bullets for um, different types of practices or, you know, just different concepts. My husband has this awesome idea for a dental implant. All we need is like $10.5 million to do clinical trials. (laughs) (laughs) But we spent like $60,000 looking into that idea. And we were ready to go forward. Um, But it became a... There were other irons we had in the fire that some of them felt like a hotter iron than that one. That may change. Some people could look and say, wow, you lost $60,000. And we're like, well, we learned a heck of a lot for that $60,000. And should we ever choose to come back to that? Look at all we already know and how much faster we're going to be ready to just kill it on mm. that idea. So I don't think that there's ever really failures. I mean, and I'm not afraid of failure. Like, what is a failure? A failure is a learning opportunity. A failure, well, that these are so cliche. Thomas Edison, like, he did so many failures and he learned all these Thousands of thousand ways not to create yes, a light bulb. Not yeah. to create a light bulb. Like that's all it is. All a all a failure is is like this nudge that you need to go a different direction. Hmm. And so great. Thank you for pointing me closer to the right direction. It's hard when there's dollars attached to it though. That's like the thing that makes failure scary is like, ooh, what if I do this and then our income dries up? Or what if I do this and you know, there's lots of things you can theoretically fail on, but when you've kind of signed your life away in an attempt, that's why the concept of firing a bullet is a lot safer than, you know, we had $60,000 we could pour into an idea. And then if we chose not to move forward on it, just be like, okay, well, look at all that we learned. Great. (laughs) Right, right. Now, I think I'm really glad that you answered it in that way because I'm obsessed with failure personally. And I just love the, because I don't, a failure is not failure to me, just like you said, that really the only way, like failure is like when the time runs out, you know, like in a game, you can yes. be losing in the first quarter and the second quarter and the third quarter. But if you win in life on whatever you're, you know, whatever you're seeking or trying to do, who cares what the, you know, how many points the other team or this invisible opponent scored in the second quarter, you know, you beat him. And, um, so anyways, I, I, I definitely feel the same way about failure that it's just, um, if you, in fact, I would even say you need to be seeking failure out because if you're not failing, um, and some scale, you know, it's not like you're trying to just like, how can I blow a million dollars today? That's not the goal. But you know what I mean? Like you should be investigating and pushing yourself and, you know, diving into in your in early days, how do I make a website? I'm sure there was a lot of minor things like, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. Um, yeah. And that's just necessary. Exactly. So, and you, I think you mentioned this, but I'll give you an opportunity to either restate this um, or provide a different um, suggestion. But what resources or it could be a favorite movie, TED Talk, book, Audible or audiobook, podcast. What is a, a resource that kind of and it doesn't need to be like the all time best, but maybe something that you're just really happy with or that you always think back on like, oh, that's one of my favorite. As far as like for marketing and stuff, 
There is a website called Marketing Profs. Um, and I went back to that. I was like a paid member. It's like 200 something a year. When I was going through all this marketing stuff, that was my university. Like being a newbie, having no major background in marketing, there was so much awesome content on that website. It was huge for my growth and what I needed to learn and do. Anyone who is feeling like they want to come up to speed on what's like in the now on marketing, and it's something that you don't have to have a degree in marketing to understand. I loved that. So I would always put a plug in for them. <laughs> they don't know who I am. I am like completely off their radar. Um, but just straight from my heart, I loved that, that website and the content that they had. It was a huge component in helping me um, be effective at what I had to do. So that's like the very top of my mind. And then I, I totally am an audible subscriber. I love that I can be knocking out whatever I have to do in my day and be learning something. Um, I think that there's tremendous value in always learning. Cool. Yeah, well, totally. um, Christiane, I really appreciate your time today. This has been super fun, at least for me. Hopefully it was for you as well. But appreciate your knowledge and wisdom and sharing today. And um, if someone wants, wants to reach out or get in touch with you, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, uh, my email is Christiane at BoiseDentist.com. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-N-E at BoiseDentist.com. Awesome, and I will include that in the show notes as well. But again, thank you so much, and we will see all of you guys next time. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.